this episode of the Naturist Living Show, Lessons from History. This episode of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Well, those kids have the time of their lives out there. Did you call about my car? I'll take care of it on my way to Tampa. Oh, you're going to Tampa? I go in almost every day. I, I bring the oranges in from the groves. Those people, they... They're members of the Garden of Eden. They're going in for a swim. But they haven't any... Any clothes on? Of course not. Nobody wears them here, except when they go out during the evening. Well, who brought you to this place? Oh, John Roy, the famous director. I studied drama with him. Sure, he comes every year. Why, if it weren't for him, I never would have known about this place. You see, he fixed it so I could work here at the park, help make ends meet. Park? Yeah, park or camp, whichever you want to call it. The grounds here are dedicated to sunbathing. This is no place for Joan and me. But you just said you've never seen anything so delightfully natural. Yes, but I meant the children, Mike. Those people are grown-ups. Yes, they are grown-ups. Does that make bodies any less natural? Well, I just don't think that men and women should... Walk around as God made them in his image? Well, you're entitled to your opinion, and I'm not asking you to change it. Well, I didn't say you were. Please understand. It's just that, well, we just can't stay here any longer. All right, I can take you back to your car or drop you off in Tampa. No, I don't want to go back to Tampa. <laughs> you say that as if you wanted by the FBI. Please don't make fun. It's just that, well, Tampa holds unpleasant memories for me. Oh, you want to tell me about it? I'm, I'm a good listener. Not now. It's something rather personal. All right, I'll tell you what. Why don't you stay in here? Nobody's going to bother you, and then when I find out about your car, I'll call you. All right. Good. Thanks. Oh, uh, by the way, in case you get hungry, just go down the road. I'll turn to your right. Thanks. Mommy, look. These are for you. Joan, where are your clothes? Out there. Well, who told you you could take them off? Nobody. Then why'd you do it? Gosh, Mommy, nobody wears clothes here, and I want to be like the other kids. I understand, darling, but you'd better stay in here with Mommy, huh? Mommy, I told the kids I'd be right out. I'm having such a good time. Slip something on and go get your dress now. Gee, Mommy, why can't I play outside? Well, Johnny went to see about the car, and we have to get dressed. Why, Mommy, nobody cares what I wear, and the sun is so good all over. I know it does, dear, but... The real kid, Mommy. I never had any kids to play with at Grandpa's. Please, Mommy. All right, dear. But stay where Mommy can see you. That was a scene from the 1954 movie called The Garden of Eden. Um, the voices you heard was uh, Jamie O'Hara as Susan Lattimore and Mickey Knox as Johnny Patterson and Karen Sue Trent playing the little girl Joan Lattimore. And in a uh, theme which is uh, very common in a lot of naturist fiction, um, a, um, a single mother, 
shocking back then, but she was single because her husband was killed in the war. This is 1954, shortly after World War II. And uh, lives with a nasty father-in-law and decides to go on her own and car breaks down and ends up, surprise, surprise, in a nature's club. And of course, she doesn't know because she arrives at night until the morning. And that's the little uh, interlude that you heard in that particular story. The reason I'm playing this is because I was at the Garden of Eden um, in January. It's actually Lake Como uh, near Tampa is the club where this was filmed uh, back in the early 50s. And uh, there are many uh, fine clubs in uh, the Lake, uh, the, well, the Lake Como area, the Tampa area. Um, in Pasco County is where you also have uh, Caliente and Paradise Lakes, and a few other clubs in addition to that. It's it's the apparently the densest, uh, it's the highest naturist density in uh, the United States, perhaps in the world. Who knows? Anyway, I was there. I decided to stay at this uh, rather old, much older club in Rustic because I wanted to experience a, a more uh, a smaller club, maybe a more passionate club, uh, less commercial. And I was curious about the history. And I stayed in a, uh, a little motel room, which, uh, while clean and comfortable, um, felt and looked just like it did in that 1954 movie. It probably was there, based on the aerial photos, it certainly was, the building was certainly there at that time, and it looks pretty much like it probably did at the time. It felt like a bit of a time warp. I felt that I could have, I could have been uh, Joan Lattimore sitting in that motel room just as she is in the movie. It made me think that I need to do a, an episode on history, uh, because uh, as the American philosopher George Santayana said, uh, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And that's very true of a lot of things, but in particular naturism. I've been very clear in the past uh, shows that we've done that I believe that naturism in a lot of cases has lost something, has lost the passion, the raison d'être, the reason for being, uh, the it, it, for many people, it's become simply an alternative to wearing a bathing suit, and that's it. Gone are the uh, physical, psychological, environmental, and so- social and moral values that were behind the movement uh, in many cases, not everywhere. And that's why I've uh, very proudly always said that Baroque's is traditional nature's values in a modern setting, because the two are not inconsistent. And so in in always thinking that newer is better and that we've reinvented things, we forget that many things have been tried and tested before. Most ideas aren't new. Um, I'm always amused by, you know, how people are excited about social media. And certainly the way it's delivered now is new. But I've got to tell you that I was using social media back in 1978 because being the slight geek that I was, I was on a system called CompuServe where they had chat room. Oh, it was all text and you had to do use an acoustic coupler to connect your telephone to the modem, and it was very slow at 300 baht, which at the time I thought was blazingly fast compared to others. So social media existed back then, and it existed on the internet uh, back in the late 80s when I first got on the internet before the World Wide Web. There were discussion forums, uh, they were called news groups, and that was social media as well. In fact, that's how I first found out about uh, naturism personally. Um, I posted in a group called Rec Nude, which because uh, the internet was limited to academics and scientists and 
computer geeks like myself, wasn't spammed all the time, and RecNude was a real source of good information. Of course, all I found out from RecNude was the mailing address for the Federation of Canadian Naturists, which led me to write them a letter from which they sent me a letter with the address of Glen Echo, which was the first club I visited. So we can see it a lot in movies. We can also see it in magazines from the time. But going back nearly a century, um, we see it in the early movies, the passion, the philosophy. Certainly several of those uh, were slightly exploitive. The producers behind them were trying to make money by showing skin. Um, and we talk about that in one of the earlier episodes we did um, um, on naturist movies and nudist films. But the people that were portrayed were often naturists, and their passion and their philosophy really showed, as it does in this clip from the film Elysium from 1934. Well, Doctor, it still puzzles me why people of both sexes and all ages gather together in various nudist camps to collectively enjoy the benefits of air and sunshine, rather than practice nudism privately. Well, the feeling which impels nudists to enjoy their recreation uh, collectively is no stranger and no different than that feeling which impels all sorts of people throughout the world to dine collectively, play games together, or attend amusements in droves. It is merely the natural desire for social contact. And in nudism, uh, that contact is quite as moral as under the other conditions that I have mentioned, and far more moral than that which pertains at dances, nightclubs, or at the average bathing beaches throughout America. For nudists carefully safeguard the morals of their converts at all times. Doctor, I can truthfully vouch for that because I have never been anywhere and seen people conduct themselves in a more wholesome manner. But we don't have to go to the movies only to find that history and the passion. There are still naturists alive today who were around. So I went to visit uh, Doug Beckett. And uh, Doug is 86 years old. And uh, so him and his wife, Helen, were witnesses to the early days of naturism where they joined in, in the early 50s. So what follows is my interview with Doug Beckett at his home in Barrie, Ontario. We had we'd, uh, lived uh, in uh, Thunder Bay for 10 years before we came into this part of the country. And uh, uh, the only uh, uh, cottage country was along the... Uh, uh, Thunder Bay shore. Thunder Bay was a large uh, squarish bay that uh, in one corner Fort William and Port Arthur were the only communities and the rest was uh, very much uh, uninhabited. But uh, uh, so that uh, you could go out for uh, just about anywhere and uh, have a, a picnic and put your blanket out and sunbathe and so forth, but that wasn't available down here. And uh, but what was available was uh, 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 Ray Connett's uh, sunbathing for health magazine, 
which we started to read, and uh, that sounded interesting. And uh, especially since there was a club that would be within 25 miles of us, so we uh, yeah, we were uh, we we contacted the club, uh, a club member, and uh, whose uh, name was uh, in the magazine, one of the uh, officers of the club, and uh, were interviewed, and uh, then uh, had the directions of how to get to the club and turned up one June day when the temperature was about 50 and uh, everybody was dressed quite warmly but uh, very, it very quickly warmed up fortunately and uh, so we uh, quickly acquired a tent and uh, joined the club. That was a much bigger deal than it is today in terms of breaking societal norms in 1958. Uh, what what made you decide to do that? Was it a hard decision? No, because uh, uh, we had taken a canoe trip once in uh, northern Ontario. Uh, there was a chain of lakes and uh, cottages on the first lakes and nobody on the next three. And we'd taken a, a canoe trip found a camping spot, ideal little bay in the sand beach and uh, all that, and uh, a couple of miles by water uh, from the nearest uh, cottage and uh, absolutely no access at all by land, thick, thick bush. So we found that, that uh, uh, in such an environment and hot summer weather, who needed the clothes? So we canoed in the nude, and we swam in the nude, and so forth. This uh, seemed to be great. So how did you get your hands on a copy of Sunbathing for Health? I mean, that must have been a fairly subversive magazine back then. You couldn't just pick no, up anywhere. No, It was published in Toronto, but it, uh, that was Toronto the good. And you couldn't buy it in Toronto, but you could buy it in Thunder Bay. You could buy it in Barrie buy just about anywhere in English-speaking uh, Canada, but uh, Toronto. And so what was that first club you visited? The first club was Glen Echo because uh, it was, uh, well, only 25 miles uh, from where we are. Uh, what could be better? So in 1958, Glen Echo was only three years old. Yes. What was it like? Well, it was uh, very simple, you have to consider that uh, in the 58, there was uh, very little camping equipment because before the war, camping wasn't done, uh, just wasn't done. And uh, there were only tents. There were there was no trailers uh, or um, uh, not even uh, uh, camping trailers. And uh, so there was old army bell tents and uh, uh, other things that had come from Europe and so forth. And uh, the uh, uh, 
There was volleyball, because all you needed was uh, two poles and a net and a ball. And uh, there was horseshoes. And they were just uh, in the process of making the first uh, uh, pond. At the moment, uh, it was then, it was uh, 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 quite a, a wet swamp hole. So you, there wasn't even any swimming? No. So what they did was they, uh, uh, we had a great fun on uh, days, but uh, summer days was clearing the bush. Uh, so it was sort of uh, an alder swamp. And uh, then uh, Eddie brought in the equipment and they uh, uh, made a little pond, about a little less than half the size of the existing pond. And uh, we had swimming. And we had a little clubhouse, which was about 16 feet square, and uh, but adequate to take most of the people if it rained. And the uh, sunning area was very much as it is, and the uh, uh, sports area was very much as it is. So that was there was only a few dozen members from what you're suggesting. Uh, we were uh, family number 23. And uh, they, uh, one of the chaps that we were talking to, because uh, we were new to the group, said, uh, well, uh, where did you come from? And well, he said, we're Canadians. We've always been here. And he turned around and shouted out to the gang and said, hey, gang, this thing's going to catch on. Here come a couple of Canadians. Because at that time, the membership was English, German, uh, French, a few French. Uh, and, oh, yeah, pardon me, and Dutch. Yeah. Now, did you, you were a young couple at the time? Um, well, we had a six-year-old daughter. Did, were, were most people younger, or was it a mix? Uh, most people were in their 30s. Old enough to be able to think on their own and not do what the... What the, what the everybody else was doing. And they were from various parts of the world, and most of them had been uh, uh, naturists in Europe. So tell me about the, the process back then. You found a mailing address in the back of Sunbathing for Health, and you wrote them a letter? Well, uh, no, that was rather odd. They, uh, they gave a name, it was a Dutch name, but... Uh, uh, I don't think there was a uh, mailing address for the club. In those days, you sent your request into uh, uh, the, the magazine and they wrote you back and tell, told you where the nearest uh, club was. But this Dutch name was rather unique, and I looked it up in the Toronto phone book, and it was the only, uh, there was just the one name. So I... I picked up the uh, the phone and phoned this Toronto phone number, and of course, uh, it was the uh, uh, Glen Echo uh, man, and we talked and uh, made a uh, reservation for a meeting. And you you met at Glen Echo, or you met somewhere else? Uh, we met at Glen Echo. So your first interview was at Glen Echo. Yes. 
Was that typical back no, then? No, pardon me. We, we were interviewed in Toronto. I was in Toronto on business. And we were interviewed then. And Helen had to be with me. And then uh, uh, we, uh, we went from there. What we, kind of questions did he ask? Do you remember? Oh, about how we got started in uh, naturism and uh, uh, various things about our interests and uh, hobbies and activities and uh, uh, what we thought about uh, being unclothed with other people around and so forth. So, and obviously they found you to be suitable. They did. And then they uh, uh, wrote out the directions of how to get to the club. So it was all pretty secretive at the time. It was. Well, it uh, was, but it was reassuring because you knew that everybody else had uh, passed the same uh, course. And as I understand, you were not joining Glen Echo, you were joining TGS, the Toronto Gymnosophical Society. Uh, that was it, yes, actually. Uh, uh, <clears throat> that uh, Eddie and Mary owned the property, and we re- rented the property from them. And the, the name TGS was uh, uh, t- taken because uh, most people wouldn't recognize that gymnosophical was actually a Greek word that meant uh, nature. So in, in the beginning, back in the early 50s, early to mid-50s, when you first got involved in naturism, were, were places like uh, TGS and Glen Echo, were they clothing optional? No. No. No, it was always uh, nude only. And what if uh, somebody came and his wife didn't want to participate? What did, you know, didn't want to take her clothes off? What did you do? Well, we had one classic example of that. I guess we'd been going five or six years. A couple came in, and she had a, a one-piece black swimsuit. And she said, well, my husband can be new, but I'm not. So Eddie said, I'm, I'm sorry. You can't be here without your husband or wife, and uh, both must be nude. So, uh, it, and is it true that back then you, you could only use first names uh Yes, until you got to know the person and became a, an outside friend as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, there was a lot of uh, great uh, uh, friendships made. Uh, things have changed a fair bit today. You know, people try to be, a lot of clubs have gone clothing optional in tr- an attempt to be, I guess, more inclusive. Do you think that's a good idea? No. No. Uh, as one chap said, whose rule is uh, nude only, he said, I always look at uh, uh, people who want to be clothed, uh, clothed in a naturist park as being uh, voyeurs or exhibitionists or a bit of both, which he said doesn't interest me at all. And he said that and I know this in another club that is also strictly nude, that they're the two happiest clubs I know, because nobody is sitting there wondering, well, why is he, why is he dressed? The temperature's 80 degrees and everybody else is in, is in the nude. 
Now, clubs are also much more open today. They can openly advertise. You can basically drive up to one and check in. Do you think that's a good thing? Uh, I think it takes a certain amount of uh, uh, talking to because, uh, as this one club owner said, I, I congratulated on uh, him on it. It was a small club, and neither he or his wife made the circuit about nine o'clock in the nude, rain or shine, and said what the activities would be of the day. And I said, that really made us feel as part of it. And uh, you always had your cheery smiles. He said, I, I always did. But he said, did you see my eyes? And I said, not particular. He said, I'm watching. For people who don't obey the club rules or don't seem to fit in. And then he said, we have a little talk and tell them that perhaps they don't quite get the message here. Now, TGS uh, was the club. Glen Echo was the property owned by Eddie and Mary that was being rented, I assume, from TGS. How did that change and why? It changed because uh, Eddie expected, was getting, I think, a per capita rent. And Eddie said, now, this thing has got to grow to make it worth, worth my while because I'm going to have to do a fair bit of work here. I mean, it costs money to dig the pond. It uh, costs money to clear out some dead trees and so forth. So that uh, uh, that was fine. We went along. Well, then we, the uh, TGS board got a little too comfortable and didn't promote too much. And, uh, in fact, the president at that time spent a lot of time in the back uh, part of the property. He had built a little rifle range, so which wasn't particularly uh, <coughs> characteristic either. So then Eddie finally came to them and said, look, either you promote and get membership so I can make this venture financially worthwhile, or I'll take it over and do the promoting. Well, they sort of hemmed and thawed and so forth and said, well, uh, things take a long time to handle, uh, happen here because the membership is a democratic organization and Sunday afternoons we would have to sit in a big group and decide what to, uh, what to do about one thing and another. And... Uh, I would rather just sit in the sun, so by force of uh, lack of push and interest, uh, Eddie didn't get his uh, promotion, and so he said, I'm taking over. And they said, there, uh, so we, uh, he said, there'll be a board of di directors, and we'll have uh, uh, one seat on it, and there, there went from there. Was there a board of directors? For a while, yes. But there was straight lethargy on the point of the, uh, the membership. Uh, there were people who said, well, gee, we've got uh, 50 members. Uh, 
Maybe that's enough. Maybe we can just close it for us. So did Eddie and Mary do better when they became they got rid of TGS and became Glen Echo? I don't know. I think the people would have come way either way. So the the park grew, but then at one point it started to drop again. Why do you think that was? I think for lack of uh, enthusiastic leadership. This was the thing in the earlier years. There was the uh, f fact that there was a lot of the European naturists and who thought, well, this is great. We found Canada, and not only that, we found that we have our good old naturism that we had in Europe. So that uh, they really threw a lot of effort into it. And that uh, uh, Eddie, in his... Uh, Reminiscence uh, has forgotten a lot of things that were done. So a lot of the club in the beginning was built by the members. Well, it was uh, uh, little things, but uh, done by the members, yes. There was less uh, worry about conveniences. Uh, it was, uh, naturism was much more simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, uh, uh, we our accommodation was tents, and uh, some of the Germans were amusing because the German style at that time was uh, how can long can you uh, have a holiday in the outback with uh, the very. Minimum of equipment that you can carry on one trip. And so I remember there was one family of uh, a mother and father and uh, I guess about a seven-year-old girl, and they had a pup then. And they had put a few rocks in the little creek that was going by and that made a, a bit of a basin, and that's where you washed and... Uh, uh, on the downstream side and tuck your water from the upstream side. <laughs> now, there's a lot of stories about uh, clubs at the beginning of naturism where you couldn't smoke, you couldn't eat meat, uh, you had to do mandatory exercises every morning. Was Glen Echo or TGS like that? No. Uh, there was just one rule. Uh, no, no drinking. Eddie said, I have been a bell captain in the Royal Oak Hotel for some years. And he said, I have seen so many degraded drunks in my life. And uh, people who were well up in business, who just on an hour or two off would get sloppy drunk and whatever. Did you visit other clubs at the time, uh, well, over the years around Toronto? Oh, yes, I've been to uh, Four Seasons and uh, at Ponderosa and uh, the uh, Lily Valley, yeah. And uh, we, we used to go to um, uh, Lake Sun for holidays until uh, Hans, Hans took exception to the way we started the FCN. So I wasn't too welcome there. 
But uh, we went to one of the French clubs. I think it was Bel Air. And were very kindly uh, accepted there. Oh, yes. Well, we have been a regular visitor for many years to Sunny Glades. And, of course, Jewel Lake. We were, we were one of the very early people in uh, Jewel Lake. Did you ever visit Sun Valley Gardens? I think we were there only once. And what, what did you think? That's a legendary place. It was quite active at that time because Carl Rule had a, a very uh, good way of attracting the, uh, the press's interest. And uh, it was when uh, he came and started Sun Valley Gardens that the media found that uh, they had uh, knew this in their uh, in their province, and because uh, he had uh, uh, promotions and whatnot. And For those who have visited Bear Oaks Family Nature's Park, you'll know that uh, one of the main camping areas is known as Beckett Circle, and yes, it is named after Doug and Alan Beckett. Um, because not only was Doug an early pioneer in terms of uh, joining uh, Glen Echo, he also was one of the founders of the Federation of Canadian Naturists. So in listening to his story and uh, his recollections from the beginning of naturism in the 50s, um, I note a lot of values which I think we are either missing or that uh, we are in some of the more passionate clubs trying to bring back. But we also see that uh, naturism was much harder to find back then. Um, it was much smaller. You know, a club with 50 or 100 people was a big club. It was much simpler, and people were willing to do with a lot less. And I'm not saying that people should go back to that. We shouldn't uh, force people to be vegetarians or stop smoking or drinking either. There is a certain amount of freedom now in naturism. But there are values behind it, and health is a very important Respect for self, respect for the environment, that's mental health, that is physical health, that is environmental health. And those are very, very important values. Um, Living a better way. It's a social experiment, really, that we're trying to do. We're trying to also provide people with an antidote to many of the ills that afflict society today. We are providing therapy for a lot of people who have been psychologically and emotionally damaged by the warped ideas about body image and about sexuality and about interpersonal relationships that are in today's society. Interestingly enough, I find that, uh, you know, Doug was in his 30s when he joined naturism, as were most people in the club, which, and I'm sure to him right now, that seems very young. Uh, But it's not the youth that everybody's always looking for. And I've always maintained that young people people in their 20s, first of all, represent a small percentage of the overall population anyway, but also are less likely to join in those years if they didn't grow up in naturism because they want to be with their friends, because they don't have the means to travel there, because they are very self-conscious still at that age. At Berooks, I think we have a good cross-section of all ages, actually. 
Um, I actually had a, a comment written in uh, on a, one of the websites, doesn't matter which one, where somebody who came to the park, and of course they're anonymous, complains that uh, there weren't enough young people around. Well, you know, if, if people are coming to the park expecting to see young, nimble bodies, particularly of women, <laughs> um, they're probably coming for the wrong reason. We certainly have young people. We have some people who are in great shape. We are some people who are not so great shape. Uh, we have a very, very average, very normal cross-section of the population. We have teenagers. We have children. We have elderly people as well. That's a normal group. But somehow people have gotten this idea that the place should be full of young people, that it should be like some sort of fantasy that you see in some of these websites or videos or that you see even in magazines, in the old adult magazines and uh, Playboy fantasies. That's not naturism. Naturism is the world, is a cross-section of the world. And those beautiful bodies don't even exist in real life anyway. So it is possible to attract young people. But if we want to attract young people... We must stand for something. We must have passion. It has to be a lot more than just taking your bathing suit off because that doesn't mean much to anybody. It's not enough of a motivation for people to find a place and join. People are looking for passion. They're looking for something that means something to them, that adds meaning to their lives. And nature can certainly do that and help them. But that's a topic for a whole other show uh, we have a show coming up on that subject, um, and we have a show coming up on women in naturism, and we have another show on vitamin D and sunshine. I've got a lot of interviews lined up and done that I'm working into future shows, so that'll be it for today. Thank you again for listening. I'm really, really impressed to see we have over 30,000 downloads of the show at this point. And it uh, keeps growing every day. And what's really interesting is to see that even the oldest shows continue to be downloaded and listened to. So people are obviously finding the show and catching up on all the episodes from the very beginning. If you have any thoughts, questions, suggestions, ideas, comments, anything at all, please send me an email. I love to read them. Send them to naturistliving at bareoaks.ca. That's B-A-R-E, of course. My name is Stéphane Deschaines, and I'm the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park, and it was my pleasure to be your host for this episode of The Naturist Living Show. Thank you for listening again, and join me in approximately one more month for the next episode of The Naturist Living Show. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. Traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social, and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.baroaks.ca.